Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Daniel Crandall. Daniel has many roles. He's a foster parent, a speaker, a trainer, and a creative director with a passion for helping youth to create the future they love. He's based in Nolensville, Tennessee. Well, hello, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm doing real well. Thanks, Lynn. Good. I'm so glad. I really appreciate that you're joining this podcast series so we can learn what it is that you do. And to get started, what I typically ask people is, how is it that you got started and were connected to the foster care system? Yeah, thanks for asking. I so appreciate being here today. And it was, let's see, 10 years ago when my wife and I realized that we had a wonderful family, three children, great job. And we said, what are we doing to actually help people? And I've always been a part of working with young people and stuff. And we just, we put it on the table between us over a couple cups of coffee and said, you know, it really came down to widows and orphans, ways that we can help as a family. And what do we have to give to people? We had, at that point, we had, let's see, a kindergartner, a second grader, and a fourth grader. And so, you know, a lot of volunteer organizations didn't want little kids working with them and stuff. And we kept coming back to the fact that family, who needs family? And it sounds it sounds a little bit trite, but family is actually an asset that we had to give. And we it just kind of struck us all at once. We're like, okay, there are actually people that don't have family, and we have a lot of it and a lot to give. And so that just started our journey with with foster care and going and getting licensed and the whole long path. So that's where it all began. I love the idea that a family can be an asset. I've never thought of it that way before. And it's so true. If you have a you know a strong, positive, healthy family, then you absolutely have something that you can give. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. And and it changed our perspective a little bit of, even about our family too, because I guess there's an old school, I don't know, I'm 47 years old and sometimes you try to think of, try to relate modern ways of thinking to kind of old traditions and where have we come and where are we going. But mm -hmm. if I think back to like agrarian lifestyle, farm lifestyle, where, you know, kids were an asset because they could work on the farm or that kind of thinking we've lost a lot of that thinking in a good sense where we don't see our children as like a commodity, but then we've lost a lot of it in a negative sense to where I think we as parents can fall short in directing our children in how their life and what they can give is an asset to the world as well. So not just family, but each of us kind of have a lot to give. And so we've really it really started a total shift in our family mission and how we, you know, meet people and how we interact and how our children see and work with others and stuff like that. So it's just been a real, real change for us. So once we were licensed, we tried to get licensed through the local county and they actually rejected us because 
we didn't want teens in our home at that point. We weren't comfortable with that. And that was what they said they needed. And so we went with a private organization that took more special needs cases, level two and level three special needs. And so then we ended up with three siblings in our home, part of a six sibling group. And we were told a year later, we were told that we got the hardest case that any of these caseworkers had ever seen. So it was a crazy ride, but we were actually glad that we didn't have something easy before that because we probably would have like not felt up to it or whatever. But just going into this, we were like, well, this is what's needed. These children need home, need family. And so again, that was, that started this long journey where we ended up adopting one of those children and two of them went on to be adopted in another family. And then the other three were all adopted and, you know, there's all that. And it led us to the point of what we call embracing dysfunction, (laughs) which again, maybe not a politically correct term, but we found ourselves facing a bit of a struggle with even our own family members talking about how dangerous it was to expose our children to certain things or how they didn't want us going certain places or meeting with certain families because of the problems they had and whatever. And we we were faced with another kind of decision point. Do we actually accept that or do we look at it as, no, this is our mission and our heart is to spend ourselves, to be an asset, to be a resource for people in need. So that was, you know, that was now 10 years ago. And um, we've been in and out of foster care system, as we all know it, it goes, placements or not, whatever. And we currently have five children, four of whom my wife gave birth to because she got pregnant during that first year. So that's another story, of course. But And now we're at the point where we have uh, three and almost four teens in the home. And so it's come kind of full circle to where I was when I graduated high school and started working with young people and teens, which was <laughs> 20 years ago. So, mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's a good segue because I wanted to back up a little bit. I'm curious what careers you and your wife had at the time you made this decision to start bringing in young people into your home. And has it changed yeah. since then? Sure. Well, yeah, I'll tell you right now, it has changed a lot. But my wife and I, when we got married, we knew we wanted to start a family. And so my our first son was born in the 12th month of our marriage. So pretty much right away, we started in on our family. And, and we knew that we loved children and all that. But even prior to that, I had spent eight or nine years in the woods of Maine as a camp director camp counselor first, then camp director, and leading young men, young boys in the White Mountains that would come out of the city and sort of a chance for them to just get away and reevaluate life. And a lot of a lot of those youth either came out of churches or they came out of foster care system. And so it was this odd blend of rich kids and children that had nothing and almost giving them the opportunity to be at the same level of need in the wilderness where, you know, nobody had a leg above or knew anybody's 
specific background or wealth, none of that really mattered. And that made a huge impression on me getting to work with these young men in the woods of Maine and leading those trips in the White Mountains. And so that's really where I started was with that that working with people. And, you know, fast forward to our marriage, we moved to Tennessee and I started working in communications and design because I've always been a creator, a creative guy, and ended up working in a corporate position in the prison industry, which allowed me to move in and out of jails and prisons where I was doing creative communications work, writing video, photography, those kinds of things, and just documenting interesting things. And a lot of it was just recruiting employment and stuff like that. But it really reinvigorated my passion for seeing change and being aware that there's a lot more to this story that people kind of hide their eyes to. And prisons are talked about, sure, but we talk about the blight or the nobody wanting a prison and there's, you know, or escapes or bad people or things like that. But very, well, you know, very little do we talk about actual reform and what are we doing to make a difference in people's lives on an individual level. And so, again, it's just, it's been that common thread. And so I, I didn't necessarily want to leave that experience behind, but I did not enjoy the corporate environment that I was in was very stifling and hard. But that, it was during that job though, that we started working in foster care. And so that really allowed us the freedom and openness to, to kind of move into, to doing something like that. Now, my wife has just always been a homemaker because we started on family right away. And to this day, she still homeschools the children, which gives us a lot of freedom to move around to, and I say move around, I mean, locally, you know, two, three hours, take people on family visits or whatever the mm-hmm. needs are yep. and keep up with all that stuff. So, Yeah. Now, I'm curious, while you were working in the prison system, were you exposed to the fact that so many people in prison came out of the foster care system? So I'm pretty sure I knew, but yeah, part of my job was actually working with a lot of the data and statistics in the communications area. And so I went from being aware to being painfully reminded all the time, I guess you could say, you know, where it was my job to talk about it, but talking about it in a way that never seemed to be looking at the solution always seemed to be focusing on the problem as a way to market something, but never marketing the solution. And and I'm not opposed to, you know, I don't stand against any type of prison or specific system that exists to control some kind of problem that we've had. I don't speak out against any of that kind of stuff because they're all there for a reason. But what I really want to do is I like to speak to people directly and say, what are we doing? What are you know you and I doing as a family to help somebody? Because there's somebody near you who actually needs help and you can help. And so I think just my knowledge and understanding of those systems and meeting people and hearing their stories just keeps that fire and passion burning in me because I hate it. I hate I would hate going into the prisons, and yet that was my favorite thing to do. So I'll say I hate it. I hate going into the prisons, but at the same time, 
I really wanted to go into the prisons and hear people's story and work with them and talk to them and do something meaningful. And so I think, again, that love-hate relationship, it's not that I loved seeing the problem, it's that I loved understanding the need because you can't really help people unless you understand the need and how, you know, what can be done. Right. Right. That's the old seven habits of highly effective people seek first to understand before being understood. So yes, totally, totally. The first habit, if you will, of successful people is listening, basically finding out what the issues are, as you're saying, what the problems are. And that is such a key skill to have when you're working with young people. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree to that. Mm-hmm. And oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to ask, what did you do? It sounds like that your job in the prison industry and communication and design probably came to an end. What was the next phase then in your work life? Yeah. We, well, we had. Uh, let's see. <laughs> we had at that point seven children living with us. Oh, wow. And I went from, when I left that job, I think I was very jaded and needed something different. And I took over a directorship with Happy Feet Nashville, which is a little organization that helps kids in the inner city learn how to basically learn soccer from the time they're very little. Happy Feet focuses on like three to six-year-olds teaching, learning the muscle memory skills that they might learn in natural, in an environment like where kids are growing up on the street playing soccer and stuff like that. So it's an odd offshoot, an odd position, but I've always been a soccer coach. And I just took that directorship for six months, again, loving working with children, seeing a need and bringing that program into some of the inner city schools as an after-school program was where I focused my efforts with that organization. But during that time, I started to move into working for myself. And that, I think, really was the goal, was to be able to be a creative director for businesses in need, to have that freedom so that, again, as a family, we could help more people and do more for people that need it. So yeah, so I started taking different contracts with companies, long, short, whatever, doing creative work and communications, but always focused on the companies that had a message or that where I could bring that passion and help direct the message in a way that people were really impacted. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just gonna ask you real quickly, just because I'm curious, are you aware of the organization called Meet Me Halfway down in the Nashville area? Yes, I have. And I think I've spoken with some people there. But I, a couple of years ago, I started really doing this with a lot more deliberation. And the number of people I talked with and the number of organizations actually kind of started to surprise me. And I got a little overwhelmed and started losing track of who I had already spoken with, who I had reached out to, and not. And I said, okay, I need to step back and really find kind of a system to manage what I'm trying to do here. Mm -hmm. If you have run into them, they are an organization in the Nashville area, and it's run by the country singer Jimmy Wayne. And his focus is also young people aging out of foster care. 
and helping that population. So if you're down in that area, it might be one you want to look up. Right. And you know what? Now that you say that, I did. I, I directed a video at the Country Music Hall of Fame that some of his students were in, I guess, musicians. They did a songwriter showcase or something. Oh, okay. So, yeah, now oh, okay. that's where that was. So I went to that songwriter showcase and I, I was a backup director. My, my friend who's my video director got busy. And so I filled in for him for that shoot. So that's, that's where that connection is. Yep. 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 It's a small, <laughs> I small thought town. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I thought right. maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so help me understand then. I mean, you are a foster father. And I also know you've explained your work as a creative director, but I also happen to know that you're an advocate and you also have a lot of thoughts about how to support young people in foster care and to help them become independent young adults. So I'd like to kind of go down that road now and to talk about the strategies, you know, what you do as an advocate, and then we can start talking about the strategies that you think that, and the audience of this podcast, a lot of organizations that work with young people aging out of foster care listen to this. So from your perspective, sharing with that audience, what do you think programs should consider and include when they're working with these young people? Right, right. Yeah. The way I... Well, like I said, it was two years ago when I realized I was overwhelmed and kind of lacked direction in how I was helping. And so I I joined a community, the 48 Days community, and that really changed my entrepreneurial journey. And I started teaching some of the lessons I was learning there about just mindset. And we have disc training and different things in that community. But the more I was teaching what I was learning there, the more I was applying that to my own entrepreneurial business, I realized how much it related directly to what I teach young people. And so I joined them as a official facilitator and whatever. And so that's, I explained that to say that's the curriculum for what I'm doing now and bringing to youth aging out of foster care. But going back to kind of the specifics of that, the idea is that you can find or create work you love. And that was kind of the premise of that community. And when you boil that phrase down, I had been in corporate America and I had left that and done kind of independent jobs. And now I was working for myself. And when you boil that down, you start to realize how beaten down people are in society that think there's no hope for them. And the real message behind all of the teachings there were really that there is actually a way out. There is actually hope. There is actually a solution to your problem. And so I've got a lot of friends, as you, you know, as we all do here, I guess, (laughs) with different organizations, but there's a director at one of the hospital companies here in Nashville that I've spoken with a lot because they work a lot with young people aging out and facilities that house some of these youth. And they focus so much energy on dealing with the past and healing from the past. And all of that is useful and helpful. But there's a person is 
you know, thinking of it holistically and not being a medical professional myself. I know the people I coach and train and work with. We need to reconcile the past. We need to treat what's happening in the present. But if we don't have hope for the future, for what's next, we go back and we try to reconcile the past again. And then we end up back in the same place in the present trying to fix things. And so really what I've found and what's missing and what's perhaps hard to give is a sense of hope. But it's so, so important. And when I started digging into that sense of hope, I realized, first of all, how poorly I was managing my own just future perspective and hope for the future in business, in life, and in little things, in my words and the way I was speaking about myself or speaking about my jobs and stuff like that. And I started just managing some of those little things of my own personality. And it just really opened my eyes suddenly to what I was teaching and how I was helping other people as well. And so that, you know, I guess that's a a lot of that talk is very vague and broad what I'm talking about here, but <laughs> it really lands when a year ago we took in a 15-year-old boy who is one of the children that we had 10 years ago living with us. Oh, okay. So through a series of disruptions, we all know how this goes. Every story is unique, and yet <laughs> there are so many similarities but he had he had ended up back in a, a facility, and we learned about that. And of, of course, we're a very open family, so our son is in connection with his three sisters and two brothers, and so we've always been in touch with what they're doing and their families and that, but this boy ended up back in a facility, and so we took him back into our home after you know he had graduated from programs that he was required to do and whatever. And so I was super appreciative for that opportunity. And he lived with us for just a year, getting back on his feet and getting back with his dad and all that stuff. So it's just this crazy, you never really know where this journey is going to lead you. <laughs> right. And the, you know, the things I was working on and the things I was looking at. And all of a sudden, here's this boy who I knew all along. And yet he ends up back in our home again, where I had kind of a new set of tools and a new set of experiences that were just in time for the kind of things that he was going through. And I was just, he's not at that older level yet, but I mean, at, at 15, 16, kids are sometimes even living the system. They shouldn't be, but they are, you know, even starting at that early age. And so just simply being able to talk through with him what I was learning in my own life and just a sense of hope and constantly being able to share honestly and openly with him what I saw, you know, the potential. I know he's a super bright and intelligent young man, has so much potential, and being able to speak that back into his life where I found I was exactly I guess, justified or right in my suspicions. He had, you know, was constantly talking about the past and constantly worried about the present, but there was not a single person in the facility, even, you know, 
in other places he had stayed that was speaking to him about his potential or his future or hope. I was just like, wow, that just, that really floored me. And here I am in this entrepreneurial community where we believe that you struggle because of the hope, but not the struggle doesn't steal the hope. The struggle is there because you know there's hope. So you keep fighting because there's hope. But if you take hope away, you really stop fighting. And so coming from that entrepreneurial creative perspective, I know that these young people in prisons and aging out of foster care, a whole lot of people I've connected with over the last year have been writers and videographers and actors and crazy amount of creative talent. And we know where that can lead. And even statistically, we know creative people can end up in prison because of, well, different reasons. I could go into that, but that's <laughs> that's another study. <laughs> but that's really been my heart and my focus is I've got this perspective as a creative entrepreneur that understands that I can't lose focus on the hope that is there. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So let me ask this. It sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, that a key, and maybe it's the first step of helping young people build hope, is just to talk with them about their future. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Again, I'm talking with, and I can't identify some of these organizations, but I'm talking with a hospital company here in Nashville about that exact thing. What are we doing to, in the training even, that they put foster parents through or the training that they provide in some of these facilities? What are we doing that instills a sense of future and a sense of hope? We have, you know, we have requirements by the state of Tennessee and they fall under kind of some federal guidelines of what we are to teach young people that's supposed to be for their future. But a lot of it really falls into the now category and it doesn't actually lead them to a future that has hope and purpose. You know, when we talk about learning how to cook, they say that's for your future. I'm like, no, you know, I can get on YouTube and learn how to cook and it takes 15 minutes. If I need to know how to boil an egg, if I need to know how to make pasta, you know, it's useful, it's helpful, but it's dealing with the now question. And we we say it's getting them ready for the future, but I hesitate to really buy into that being a solution for the future. It's useful for the future, but it's not a solution. It's not because when you have a sense of hope and a sense of purpose, you will seek out how to boil an egg or how to make pasta and how to eat healthier and how to take care of yourself. You will seek those things out naturally because that sense of hope drives you. That sense of purpose drives you. And it is probably the biggest thing that is lacking in people that have grown up in a hopeless situation. And I I don't, you know, I talk about it and I've gone into some group homes and things like that in this area and talked with some of the directors there about this and they they agree and they are starting to schedule the classes that I'm teaching but there's so much of the now that they have to get through and so I'm wrapping I'm actually working 
towards younger and younger ages of saying, how do we start talking about hope earlier and earlier to just, even just to instill that message at the 15, 14, 13 year old age, when people start to become emotional and start to perhaps despair because at 18, they're just, again, thinking now, how do I find a bed? How do I get an apartment and a job? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There are what you might probably consider personality characteristics or just characteristics of being resilient and optimistic. Mm -hmm. Right. And some young people just seem to be that way. They're resilient. They're optimistic. They just seem to have that ingrained in them. And some young people don't. Yet, they are characteristics that can be developed if you know how to help the young people build them. And hope, I think, hope, resiliency, and optimism seem totally intertwined. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, I do. And I think... I think there's a connection to words in those things. My experience, my experience, my training, I guess, is in communications and creativity and understanding, even in a group home or something, how people talk about the future, how people talk about even their current situation. I mean, we know from psychology that these things are true, that if you, if you encourage yourself, you feel encouraged. If you smile, you feel happier. And so just the understanding that there is actually something you can do to combat dis depression and despair, the awareness that there are actually people out here who care and that there are ways to connect. It's going to take a little work, but there are people who care. There is training for free available to you. Part of what I teach people is even in foster youth, there are programs that will provide, you know, college education and stuff like that, but they don't, um, they provide the money for it. But there's a bigger picture because. A young person who doesn't feel hope doesn't know how to value that or doesn't know how to take advantage of that situation. But if I can show them that there's a path to walk and there's a little work involved to getting there, but there is a future that you will love, you can build a hope. You can build up your hope, your optimism, and find or create work that you love and a life that you love. And that is a possibility. And so where my work is leading me right now, I do training for youth that are aging out in that 15 to 18 and even older, and it's based around mindset. But the, the set of tools we use is no longer dealing with the past because at a certain point they've dealt with the past so much, you know, the young person in our home who was 15, he... He didn't even want to be alone when he met with his therapist. He actually would bring the iPad out while he was on his call with his therapist and sit next to our family so that we could all hear because he's like, I just don't want to say it again in front of everyone else. So you might as well all listen. I mean, he was just so jaded to that story of the past, but nowhere 
was that therapy session leading him to hope for the future. They were just trying to get a grip on his past is what they kept saying. And I'm like, man, this kid is all past. He's got to stop living in the past. I think it's well-meaning though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. They they think they're doing what's right. And I again, I'm not a medical professional. I'm coming at this from a a creative perspective, a creative entrepreneurial perspective, a dad, a foster parent. So I've got tons of experience, but I'm applying this in a way where I don't know that I want that medical degree. I do have I do have some some professionals in the field who are keeping me true, if you'll say it that way. Some some that are international and some that are local. And this is why I'm in touch with, you know, a hospital business and some other people who publish journals and talk about these things in a different way, because I want to make sure that I'm not messing with somebody's head and just giving them false hope. I want to be in the place of saying, you've dealt with the past. You can continue seeing a therapist, but there's something we need to do to work towards a bright future because there is a bright future because you're a person. You have gifts and talents. You don't understand what they are and nobody has told you. Nobody's valued them the way they need to be valued. But you can start valuing yourself. You can start discovering what those things are. I met a guy, and I'm sorry if I just blast through and go on here, but I, <laughs> met, a guy, I met a guy at Wendy's. I, I was sitting eating at a Wendy's oh, a couple days ago, and the manager came out because I was there past the closing on a Sunday afternoon. And just, he was super polite. I was working on my computer. He said, you know, let me know. I'll unlock the door for you when you leave. And then he started asking me about my business. Cause obviously I was sitting there working on a computer. He said, so you're, you're working. He said, are you successful or are you traveling sales? You know, what's, he just was curious. And so I felt that hunger in him and I, I, I jumped on it. I love it. I was so excited about it. And I'm like, I'm like, man, you've got a, a great job here. And he looked at me sideways, like I work at Wendy's. I said, man, if you, I said, how long have you been working at Wendy's? He said, well, I've been here a whole year. I said, you're doing so awesome. If you've been here a year, you've probably already promoted and you've probably already like gotten some extra access to information and stuff. Right. He said, yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Well, he asked me, he had asked me earlier on, do you have a college degree? I said, yeah, but I never use it. He's like, and he looked at me kind of sideways. I said, you can get a college degree. You might use it. You might not, but that's not the point. I said, you can also keep at, so later on in the conversation, I'm like, you can, you've been here a year, tell your boss, say, look, I want the equivalent of a college degree out of this job. I'm willing to commit myself to three more years. If you'll teach me everything I need to do in this business, I'll everything from mop floors to show up early to stay late, whatever I need to do, I will be the hardest worker here in this Wendy's for four solid years because I want to do something big with my life. I said, if you just have that one conversation with one of your managers, then you're on your way to a four-year degree because you're going to leave Wendy's and go to another job. And they're going to say, this is one of the best managers I ever saw. And you're going to be open for any job you want because you dedicated yourself to four years at Wendy's. And not only that, Wendy's is going to pay you for the experience. Now, that's a college degree. And, and he looked at me like- You don't go into a debt for it. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. I said, I said, do you own a car? Do you have a place to live? 
I said, look, they're paying you for your education. If you treat this like it's a college education, you're only going to be training eight to 10 hours a day. The rest of your life, you get to spend your money. You get to have your friends. You're on the fast track to becoming a manager in any business you want because you were the best Wendy's manager this company ever saw. It's a very transferable skill. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And transferable, I mean, the management is transferable, but the enthusiasm, the, because he just, he lit up and he got it. And, you know, I don't think he was from foster care, but that is the message that I bring into a group home or into a training for young people. And we do a, it's a 12 week training. So it's 12 hours of, of training for these young people. And it goes through everything from disc to resume creation, to finding a job when other people can't find a job, you know, how to look beyond the regular job boards and actually find work. So it's all very practical stuff. And because none of it is dealing with the past, none of it is about, you know, your struggles to overcome whatever addiction or abuse or that, which are reality in their lives. I understand that, but we're not focused on that. We're saying, okay, you've got a therapist to talk to. You've got friends to talk to. You've got foster parents to talk to, or people in the community plug into a community. But now let's look toward the future because there are gifts in you. You have creative talents and there are people that actually need what you have and want to pay you for it. So that's, that's really the, what I'm focused on in delivering hope, delivering that message that doesn't, doesn't disregard the struggle, but it acknowledges that a new perspective is needed. You're becoming an adult. There is a time when we have to put aside those dealing with the past. And at a certain point, you may not get over everything, but you can start to get over some things. Pick something to get over one hurdle at a time and start looking at the future and, you know, continue to deal with the past if it troubles you, but don't jettison your future to just focus on the past. And as people move toward a brighter future, as people start talking about themselves in a more healthy way, there's healing that comes. They stop thinking of themselves as an abuse victim. They start seeing themselves as a Wendy's manager. That's not bad. That's a good thing. So, you know, in the real estate industry, or so I've been told, when somebody comes into a house, you know, they're looking at the home to possibly purchase it. And they start talking about, well, we could put our bed there or our dresser there, or we can put this there. Or the kids can be in this bedroom. What the real estate agent knows is they're starting to picture themselves in this house in the future. Yes. And I think it's the same thing. If you have young people who start talking about what they will do, what position they can see themselves in, then you know you know, the real estate agent, I've got them, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a similar thing yeah. where I've got the young people, they're starting to think about the future. And I think that's a wonderful perspective of, you know, yes, they, they have a past and they need to work through it, but you also need to balance that with a focus on the future, which leads me to one final question here. How important is it for people to find the meaning in their life? And I 
bring this up because I'm a big fan of the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yes, I've read it recently. Yes. Yeah. For those listeners who don't know, he lived through the German concentration camps in World War II. And he observed, he did survive, and he observed that the people who, I'm really boiling this down, <laughs> the people who seemed to survive and even, I dare say, thrive as best they could, of course, were people who had meaning. They had a purpose. They had something to live for in their hearts. And I think from my perspective, as you're talking about the things that young people will do in the future, it's also important to help them figure out what's important to them. What is that meaning in their life? Yes. And coming back to what I went through kind of in my own life of starting on an entrepreneurial journey was because I realized that I was working for a corporation going in and out of prisons. I was getting experiences which were valuable, but none of which, they all led me to desire more meaning in my life. And so it's a real common thing at at 40 years old for men anyway, to kind of question their meaning and have a midlife crisis and buy a new car or something like that. But, but it's all about asking right. yourself, <laughs> what am I doing? And so what men at that age go through is real similar to, and I have therapists and psychologists who agree with me on this point. It's very, very similar to what a young person is going through coming out of foster care, where they have tons of experience, maybe more than they should have at their age, and tons of training because tons of people, everybody's trying to tell them how to think and how to process their past and how to use these tools. And they probably have more training than the kids in my own family. But it's all kind of on-the-job training that isn't very personal. It's not tied to any personal passion of theirs. And so at some point, and it's kind of at this aging out point that they are aware that they don't know where they're going and they don't know where they want to go. So when you say meaning or purpose, they don't, I don't think they're aware that they can have meaning, that their life should be full of meaning. Yeah. And I want to be careful to not say nobody's helping them, but in the system, there is not a standard of training that focuses on helping people find purpose and meaning for their life. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. not there's not a focus on that. Right. And, and, and also, wanna, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, that's really where I want to make a difference. That, right. that is where I want to bring training into this as a foster parent resource, into mm-hmm. young people's lives, both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, when you're a teenager, you haven't had a possibly enough life experience to know what your meaning is yet. But that doesn't mean you couldn't learn what it is to have meaning in your life and how to search for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with well, I was talking about like job search and resume creation and people look at me like, is that really what, you know, foster youth needs? Like are, those are skills that we teach somewhere else. I'm like, no, I teach them from a very different perspective. When I say job skills, the job skills that you need to learn are 
mindset, like I was talking about with this Wendy's employee. I'm willing to do anything that that boss says if it, you know, the right things. And if I'm not willing to do what that boss says, then what am I doing to find a different job where I am willing to do what that boss says? You know, why am I here? Even in a job at Wendy's, I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here just to get a hundred bucks. There's a bigger purpose even in this job. And if they fire you from that job because you did poorly, how do we then look at what happened, reframe what happened with hope for the future? Because again, that can set someone spinning. Just getting fired the first time can set somebody spinning into a downward spiral. And so looking at it from a very different way, and I look at these kids and I say, you're going to get fired. (laughs) I've been fired from two jobs in my life. So you're going to get fired. But what do you do? Now, how do you look at what you learned and how do you frame that on a resume and how do you talk about your future and your hope and your dedication to finding and doing something that you love that has meaning and purpose for your life? Because people will pay you for that. Yep. It's looking at every experience as a learning opportunity, really, even if it's a bad one. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's framing your future, not just your past. Right. Wonderful. Well, I wish I could continue talking with you about this, but we're actually at the end of our time. But before we go, let me ask you this. Is there a website where people can go and see the program that you work with? Yeah. I connect with triunefamily.com. T-R-I-U-N-E. T-R-I-U-N-E. Okay. That is where I've put myself out there to share the courses and the training and what we bring for foster families and for foster youth. And so that site is kind of ever-changing, but it helps people know where they can connect and what they can do, what they can bring to foster youth and how they can connect with me to help them bring this hope into their program. Or to simply deliver training for young people that need this training. All right. I'll be sure to add that to the show notes for the podcast. And how about donations? Do you accept donations at all for the work that you do? And if you don't, would you like to refer folks to a particular organization to donate if they're interested? I do not take donations. We have not started a nonprofit organization. Okay. I take work. And I even take work for foster youth. So I have, I'll accept small jobs because a lot of what I do is training and I'll pass those on to foster youth that have (laughs) trained with me. And I'll say, you can do this. And I'll a lot of times help them through it. But so, yeah, so I'd say connect with any creative needs. Okay. And is that local to where you are or does it not matter now with the technology we have? Worldwide. Okay. I provide creative art direction for businesses. So I've done everything from podcast directing to video production. And the big part of what I do that fits into this box is when I pursue clients, it relates to creating this message of hope in the foster care system, in the prison system, in training for young people in urban situations 
Okay. And is that the best way for people to reach you then if they would like to touch base with you on that is through that triune triune address? Triunefamily.com is really the way to connect with me and you can call or drop a note. Yep. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I really thank you so much, Daniel, for talking with me today. I've enjoyed the conversation immensely. There's so many things that we've touched on, but you know, just to highlight the things that jump out at me is, again, this focus on the future and yes. building hope. I think that you know that really, I think, to, in my mind, would be the big takeaway from this podcast. And I really do appreciate the time that you've taken to explain that. And I wish you all the best with what you do moving forward. Thank you so much, Lynn. I really appreciate the opportunity to share and uh, hope that people will take this and be able to make a difference with it. I hope so too. Well, for those who have listened to the end of the podcast, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every two weeks or so. So keep checking back to our website, agingoutinstitute.org and look for the podcast link and you'll see there all of the podcasts on one page. Thank you all very much. Until next time. 